0: sharp, pointed, and insightful. This is Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk.
1: Legal immigration has been a bedrock of this country. We want to strengthen legal immigration and welcome more individuals through a merit-based system that enhances our economic vitality and the vibrancy of our diverse nation. But illegal immigration is simply spiraling out of control.
2: Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Thank you, Madam Secretary, for being here and helping us answer the fundamental question of whether we care about our sovereignty and the rule of law in our country. And unfortunately, I have this now cynical view that I'm not so sure we all agree on that, that we all value the rule of law and value the ability to manage our border effectively.
3: The president has three ways he wants to pay for it. The first two are not problematic at all. He wants to use the anti-drug money, he wants to use the forfeiture fund, and if he takes those two funds and the money that we already appropriated in the budget that even the Democrats agreed to, he gets to 5.7.
4: Congress should have fixed this problem. The president tried multiple times to get Congress to work with him to address the crisis. They failed to do so. And now,
0: Stacey Washington.
4: Welcome to the program.
5: It's my pleasure to be with you today, and I'm so excited about uh, what we're going to be able to do here. Um, we, we have a fantastic show planned for you. I'm actually fiddling around with my uh, earbuds here, having some difficulty with my old earbuds, so i got my old Beats Headphones back out, and they're acting a little funny, too. Um, Welcome to the program. Stacey Washington, host of Stacey on the Right here on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. And uh, today on the program, we have lots to cover, tons of things we're going to get into. How the Democrats are now becoming the party of anti-Semitism, where they're literally just saying, you know, out and out. Um, we can't afford to offend any of our core constituencies. And so we're just going to paper over what one part of our group says about the other part of our group. And the rest of y'all can just stay out of it. That's what I see them saying here. And we're going to get into that. Uh, we'll take your calls at 866-963-2037. 866-963-2037. And our guest for this hour is going to be Stephen Solomon, conservative radio host and former military intelligence agent. You know, he comes on the show quite a bit. We're going to be glad to talk to him about some of the things that are going on. And we're also going to talk about the border. It's back in the news again. Uh, We had wonderful, wonderful testimony by Homeland Security uh, Secretary Kirsten Nielsen talking about how this year we're going to see a million illegal aliens uh, cross, trespass our southern border. A million. So remember... 100,000 a month is actually more than a million. It's 1.2 million. Who, if, if 100,000 cross every month, that's 1.2 million additional immigrants here, illegal aliens, in addition to the over 1 million lawful immigrants we receive into this country. Now, if you think about that for a quick second, if you think about what that means to America as we know it, and this is not xenophobia, it's not me having a problem, it's not me uh, you know, being afraid of, I, Im, immigrants people of other countries i'm i'm the opposite of that i love people from other countries just like i love people from this country i happen to prefer americans why because that that's my country of origin that's my home and i would expect that other people would have the same kind of feeling uh for their own kind of their own family their own their own countrymen Um, But also having an innate sense of really respect for people who come from other countries and want to make America their home. This isn't about fear. It's about breaking the law and condoning that or being against that. So we're going to get into that as well. Um, I also want to talk about Whole Foods and what's going on with them with their uh, minimum wage hike. So You might have heard that Whole Foods actually brought about this. It's really wonderful if you think about it. They chose to increase their minimum wage so the floor so anybody who works at Whole Foods now you're making 15 bucks an hour. And so you probably think, okay, what's wrong with that? They chose to do it. They did it, and in some of the places where Whole Foods operates, those local legislatures and municipalities have already opted to make $15 the floor, the threshold, it's the minimum wage. And so what they were able to do is kind of anticipate that and get ahead of it. But what they've also done with not so much fanfare, not so many announcements, is they've cut their part-time workers from 32 hours a week to about 20 or 21 hours a week. So the net effect is that if you were making you know, 10 or $11 an hour before, but you were working 32 hours a week, And taking on any extra shifts that you could find because, you know, your coworkers, anybody who's full-time who needed a shift replacement, it would be a part-time person. And any other part-time friend who has a wedding to go to or something with their kid and they need you to take on a shift, you would take it as long as you didn't uh, exceed 39 hours. Well, that's no longer an option for you because they've reduced your hours and now everyone's looking for those extra hours. So instead of people actually taking a little time off, they have more time off because they're only working 20 or 21 hours a week. The net effect is that people are making less money than when they were making the lower per hour rate. So the question is, you know, people are obviously screaming about that. And some municipalities are moving to change uh, the law. In addition to increasing the minimum wage, they're saying employers cannot offset that cost by lowering the number of hours that someone works. Well, how much more command and control are we going to give to elected officials and some of them not elected Uh, to control what business owners can do with their employees. Remember, the contracts that employees have with their employer are not between the employer and the state or the employer and some local government. The contract is between the employee and the employer. And the negotiation that exists there is, if you don't like the amount that you're being paid, you can always go work somewhere else. You don't have the right to demand that someone pay you more just because you're there. You have to earn more money. So we are already on a slippery slope here where municipalities will just sit up in meetings. And I've, I've been, so I was on school board, so I know how this works. You meet, you have subcommittee meetings where you meet about specific topics. People come in, they talk about, well, this, I'm having this problem, I'm having that problem. And then what happens when they're having that problem? They kind of feel like someone um, could possibly help them with it by going to this municipal leader, this mayor, elected official, what have you. And when they do that, they're looking for a solution to a problem that they should be solving outside of government. When they get the elected official to weigh in and do this for them, to make this change, namely every business within you know, the, the city limits will have this minimum wage, what they're doing is they're taking away their own power, they're giving it away, and they're putting their employer in a difficult position because now the employer who knows the ins and outs of the business doesn't have the ability to control it the way they should. So I'm, I'm disturbed by this because I think Whole Foods is probably, I, I know by a lot of metrics, they win a lot of awards for being a great place to work. I know for the Whole Foods here in this area that I go to, I think we have four of them now, but I only go to two of them. And in each one, I see the same employees. These are long-term employees. You see them, you get to know them, you kind of go in there, check out Lane, or you see them, you know, in, in the aisles and you ask them for some help finding something And so you get the feeling that they like working there. But what this is doing is making it more difficult for them to maintain just a single employment opportunity at Whole Foods. If they can only work 21 hours a week and that's the max they can get and they're being told that corporate has made this decision, advice from corporate has made it possible or impossible for them to work more hours, then their only other option is to find another job uh, to supplement their income at Whole Foods. And working at two different places at the same time not so cool if you have to actually physically go to each location. It's one thing when you're freelancing and you're doing everything from one place, like your, your office is a Starbucks or your office is at home. But it's another thing if you're actually having to go to one place and put in hours and then go to another place and put in hours. And so that's what's so, um, I, I, I hate to say depressing, but it's just a sad consequence of this idea that we have to give in. We have to do what these... You know, people who ne- some have never owned businesses, some of them have never done any balance sheet work or tried to manage any kind of, of work environment. And we're going to let those people decide what the minimum wage should be based on the fact that some people have made poor life choices. They have a poor cultural allegiance that puts them in a position where they can only afford to work a minimum wage job. And by afford, I mean that's that's their floor. That's their entry level. But they also have two kids or three kids you know they can't afford to make ends meet and so because they don't have a spouse because they don't have an intact family everyone else has to suffer because we have to make the minimum wage 15 dollars an hour which in effect lowers the take home pay that they're able to get home so do you see how no one wins here the answer is not to force businesses to pay people when they honestly they they don't they don't have the means to do so businesses increase salaries and benefits and hourly wages based upon profitability and a host of other factors. And I I just think it's pretty sad that we're seeing this going on with Whole Foods. Um, So additionally, um, I wanted to talk about the consequences of sin. And we have this uh, wonderful um, daily encouragement for the consequences of sin. And it's about um, the Gibeonites. So you might remember them from the study of David um, in the, it's in Samuel, second Samuel. And when you get into chapter 22, I believe it is, when you get there, the Gibeonites are a group of people who had previously deceived the Israelites and they came into the promised land. And even though they were nearby neighbors and they were worried about getting wiped out uh, by the mighty men of valor and Joshua, they ended up kind of deceiving Joshua and striking a treaty with him, which he felt he had to honor, even though it meant he was disobeying, disobeying what God had told him to do. And so under Saul, some of the Gibeonites were mistreated and killed, uh, and it was it was certainly nothing to do with David, but it, it, it happened. So at that point, the Gibeonites are facing what is really, it's, it's a tough go. Um, and they go to david and they're telling him about what's happened to them um and then and then at that point david has this kind of it's like a choice that he has to make and so there's this famine going on and david's wondering why is there a famine like what have we done what what is going on he goes to god and he says what what's what's happening lord what have we done to deserve the famine and god tells him it's on account of saul and his blood-stained house because he put some of the Gibeonites to death and he did it unjustly. So David calls the Gibeonites in and he's speaking to them. They're not a part of Israel, but they're a part of the Amorites, the survivors of the Amorites, which were, they had this treaty with Israel that Israel had sworn to spare them from the sword. And so Saul tried to annihilate them. And so David says, cause he's trying to get the, the, uh, the plague lifted. He says, What can I do for you? How can I make atonement so that you will bless the Lord's inheritance? And the Gibeonites said, Well, we have no right to demand silver or gold from Saul or his family, nor do we have the right to put anyone in Israel to death. And David said, What do you want me to do? And they said, As for the man who destroyed us and plotted against us so that we have been decimated and have no place anywhere in Israel, let seven of his male descendants be given to us and killed. And their bodies exposed before the Lord at Gibeah of Saul, the Lord's chosen one. And so David did so. And he spared Mephib- Mephibosheth, who was a son of Jonathan, who David had sworn to protect him and his descendants because they had the close bond of friendship. But he did find seven uh, male descendants of Saul and they were, uh, you know, they were killed. Now, when we were studying this this week, Um, our group discussion about this, it was kind of interesting because everybody kind of had a different take on what was going on. Now, obviously the, the, one of the primary things we see here is that David has this amazing attitude towards the, the, they're in a famine, they're, they're starving. And instead of him getting angry or cursing God, he was like, what can we do? Like what, what's, what's happening here? What have we done to offend you, Lord? How can we be made right with you? He loves God, he praises him continually, and he looks for ways to please him and to bring himself back in right relationship. Now, the other lesson here is unaddressed sin, and so we have two ways that we can feel about this. First of all, it is a comfort to know that the sin that Saul did against the Gibeonites, while it looked as if Saul had gotten away with it and it was unanswered, God hadn't forgotten about that sin, and it had to be atoned for because sin and injustice pollute the land. And you can only have the land cleansed, meaning have the the negative things lifted when the sin is atoned for. Now, obviously we ask for forgiveness now. This is Old Testament. We ask for forgiveness and are forgiven and have our sins separated from us as far as the East is from the West. But we do have to suffer the consequences of our sin. And sometimes in God's mercy, those are very little. And other times, like in this story, the consequences are great, and they're visited upon the descendants. And so the lesson here for us is not to leave any sin unaddressed, to immediately repent and turn away from the sin, and because no one gets away with it. If it looks like people are getting away with it, they're not. All right, when we get back with we'll Stephen Solomon. Stay right there.
6: You know what's uh, really. Nice about our tour of Washington D.C. and Mount Vernon in September is the fact that we're with Christians who support our ministry from all over the country. We may talk differently, but we have a like mind and a like heart, and it's uh, always a joy to spend time with our supporters. So, if you want to join us on the September Spiritual Heritage Tour, Washington D.C. and Mount Vernon, we'd love to have you. Now, for all the information the dates, the pricing, everything, go to spiritualheritagetours.com. We'll fill up soon. The June tour is already sold out. We're going to fill up soon for September. So don't delay. We also go to Williamsburg and Jamestown on a tour preceding the Washington, D.C. tour. So if you'd like information on either one or both of those tours, go to spiritualheritagetours.com. That's spiritualheritagetours.com.
7: Hi, I'm Crawford Ritz with a Legacy Moment. I've known several people in my life who were the slick negotiating type. You know what I'm talking about, wheeler dealers, the kind of person who would make a really good car salesman or maybe a politician, but even they had lines they would not cross. Some concessions lead to costly compromise. Sometimes you give up, you give in, you give up, you give in, you give up, you give in. And before you know it, you've crossed a line that it's hard to regain the ground you've given up. It's not wise, for example, to make a deal with a terrorist or (laughs) with anybody, for that matter, who could care less about your survival or life. We all need boundaries that we don't let others cross and that we don't cross. There's a sad illustration of these concessions and lack of boundaries that caused terrible compromise in Joshua chapter 16, verse 10. Listen to these words. For they, meaning the children of Israel, did not drive out the Canaanites who lived in Gezer. So the Canaanites live in the midst of Ephraim to this day, and they became forced laborers. There are a couple of observations I want to make. Difficulties can pave the road to disobedience. We give in. We just say, this is hard. I don't want any trouble, and it looks like this will be okay. Then when we compromise, integrity is breached. We compromise our character because we've done something we know is not right to do. Then lastly, sin becomes our destiny. We've given up. We've given in. We've allowed people to step into areas they shouldn't step into, or we've gone places sinfully we should not have gone. Here's what I want you to remember today obey God no matter what and and think about the implications and the real price you'll pay when you're
0: tempted to compromise to view an online transcript of today's thoughts by Crawford go to livingalegacy.org this is Stacy on the right with Stacy Washington on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk
5: Welcome back to the program. Thanks for being with us today. You can find out more at dot UrbanFamilyTalk.com, and AFR.net. Uh, head over to Facebook or, you know, Twitter and Instagram, at StaceyOnTheRight, um, and hit the follow button or the subscribe button. We'd love to have you there. Right now, it's my pleasure to welcome Stephen Solomon. He's a radio host and former military intelligence agent. Stephen, thanks for joining the show today.
2: Hey, Stacy, How are you today?
5: I'm doing pretty well. I'm just I'm looking at uh, what's going on in Washington, D.C., where the anti-Semites have now found a very strong and interesting place within the uh, Democrats. And they're hunkering down. They're actually taking more control and they're kind of browbeating Jewish people into uh, to, to kind of accepting their their new reality there.
2: Yeah, this whole thing really blows me away. You know, the last, the last time I checked, Nancy Pelosi was the Speaker of the House. That's, that's the last thing I remember seeing. But it, it looks like this far left kind of fringe group in in the Democratic-controlled House, Ilhan Omar, AOC, these people, it's like they're guiding her on this. And if she doesn't get control of this, I think one of two things is going to happen. I think they're either going to split the Democrat Party, which, you know, the GOP would love. They would, they would love that. It'll either split that down the middle or it's going to push every Democrat as far left as possible, which I think the GOP would like as well. <laughs>
3: mm-hmm.
5: So it's, I think
2: way, it, it's not good for them.
5: <laughs> no, it isn't. But uh, do you see uh, there's almost a sense of um, I know this is an analogy that I I hate it when it's made about black conservatives. But maybe I'm beginning to understand the the lack of clarity that comes from the other side, which is. It looks to me like Jewish Americans who have strong ties and allegiances to the Democrats are going to have to make a decision that anti-Semitic language and anti-Semitic tropes and a real hostility towards Jewish Americans is going to have to be accepted. They're, They're going to have to permit it because the Islamists in their midst are not going to change. We haven't seen any inkling of change from Omar from day one, when she made the first anti-Semitic statement, it's almost as if the people who are behind her, who are funding her, the ones who support her and propelled her into office, are excited by these comments because whenever she apologizes or, or even walks it back a tad, because I don't think I've heard a genuine apology from her, she immediately follows on with another more offensive anti-Semitic statement. And then what, there's more yeah, backlash, yeah. and then she kind of turns it around. So what are, what are Jewish Democrats to do here?
2: Well, this has kind of been the conundrum. You know, in America, the Jews have typically been on the left, which is a bit strange. If you're, you know, an evangelical out there listening today, you go, well, I thought Christians and Jews were together, and the left isn't, you know, very friendly to Christians. It's it's just been typical about the way things have been. You know, when you look at it from, for instance, James Clyburn, you know, he's the number three Democrat in the House, and he he essentially said that Holocaust survivors need to check their privilege. And he was comparing Holocaust survivors to Alan Omar, um, you know, being a refugee. And I thought to myself, there is all sorts of cover being run. And, and the Jewish people are smart. Jewish people are not – they're not stupid. They pay attention. They're aware of what's going on. And if they will, if they will open their eyes as, as a group and say, okay, we're going to be turned on here. <laughs> it hasn't happened yet, but it's, it's going to happen. I think they're going to be able to see right through what's going on here. The farther the less the Democrats go. I think the more comfortable uh, Jewish people in America are going to feel leaving Democrats.
5: Because I just, I have to say, Stephen, and I, so I, I come from this whole thing where, you know, I I was raised in Christian church where we learned from day one, I remember learning in Bible school where, you know, you color in your lesson for the day and it has a memory verse that Mm -hmm. if anyone who honors Israel, God will bless them. And anyone who is, any in any way negative towards Israel that God curses them that God that that Israel is Israelites are God's chosen people and then as I grew up and came to understand who Jewish people were I understand that there are Jews who you know there there are Jews who live on every continent on the planet and Jews don't sure. always present themselves in the way that American Jews present themselves um but it, it is definitely still a single people group and then it's just been like maybe eight or nine years that I've been aware of the fact that Jewish people like there are less than 40 million Jewish people on the entire planet. Mm. And for context, there are 38 or 40 million black Americans. So, I mean, wow. if you, if wow. you think about the entire world and there's seven plus billion people on it and Jewish people, the, 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 the Jewish people are 40 million or so. Uh, that is kind of amazing. And so it. I, yeah. I remember being out to lunch with some Jewish girlfriends. Uh, our kids used to go to a, a, a public school that is in an area of town that is, it's like the Mecca for Jewish people in the Midwest. St. Louis is actually one of the most heavily uh, Jewish cities in the entire country outside of New oh, York and that. certain parts of Florida. Yeah, we have, there are so many young Jewish families here that they actually have a Jewish concierge. At the Jewish Community Center here, who helps shepherd the families into neighborhoods that have a temple and good schools, et cetera, et cetera, you know, are, are easily travelable, walking neighborhoods, whatever the family's looking for. If they're yeah. coming into the country or moving from across the country, this woman helps them to get. The optimal living situation for where the wherever the husband or the wife is going to be working or what have you, and so I learned all of that, and I also one of, one of the things that 's interesting is with our old house we bought it from a family that happened to be of Indian descent, but the family before that it was just this Jewish developer, and he owned it, and when we replaced the refrigerator, we found some pictures from a birthday party of their kids and actually gave them to him at the school. And he laughed and he said, "Oh my goodness, I remember this. I remember this party." And he said, "How'd you get these?" I'm like, "We have your old house." And we sat down and just like in the in the foyer of of the elementary school and talked about it. And he was telling me all these stories. And um, he would always joke with me after that because you know we kind of struck up a little friendship. So wherever I'd see him around town, he'd walk up and he'd say, (laughs) "You know, we Jewish people, we're a small people, or we're we're, we we survived another day. Another day that (laughs) Jews have survived." And he had these were fantastic jokes, but. I have, I have not one Jewish friend from from that time who didn't kind of joke around about the fact that people are always trying to kill the Jews. <laughs> this is like oh. a thing that they talk about all the time. Oh. And now that I know conservative Jewish people who these, these are also friends, people who they live in New York, and they also are very cognizant of the fact that they have enemies far and wide, and they have to be very careful with themselves and with how they present themselves, and they can't allow any anti-Semitism to stand because of that. Like, they, they can't allow that kind of talk to become normalized because it leads to people trying to annihilate them. So how can they stay with the Democrats with this, with this new trajectory?
2: Well, uh, Stacey, you know, it's all about history. It's all about knowing history. Uh, facts bear it out. Six million Jews were killed in the Holocaust. Uh, by the way, not to even mention groups of people like the handicapped or homosexuals, just the Jews, six million of them, were, were murdered by, by the Nazis. Why, why this is such a big deal and why people should care about Ilhan Omar saying anti-Semitic things is because we know just how hated the Jewish people are around the world. I mean, if you were to consider the nation of Israel itself, just, just take that for a moment, just the little tiny nation-state of Israel— and, and all of the surrounding Muslim nations, you know, Egypt and Jordan and Syria and Iraq and Saudi Arabia, and the list goes on and on and on, a Muslim majority, there is a, a drop in the bucket where the Jews are, are halfway safe. We know, historically, we know how much they're hated. And so every person with any bit of sanity should stand up and
6: condemn
2: Ilan Omar for her comments, because we know where that type of thinking leads. It is a tragedy, Stacey. It is an absolute stain on our nation that the Speaker of the House can't rein in the Democrats and get them to condemn what she said. That's a tragedy.
5: Well, it is. But earlier you mentioned that, you know, it's it's good for Republicans if the Democrats stay on this tack. Um, now, Yeah, yeah again, the political
2: side of it is good, right?
5: Right, right. The political side. So, I mean, let's unpack that a little bit, Stephen. So they're really enamored with this new group of incoming freshman congressmen. And yeah. I, I don't think Nancy is as happy as the face she puts on for you know, like the public. I don't think she's as happy about it as, as it may look. I think she sees right. a real fracture within the party coming and and it's something that she wants to rein in, but she's also got a lot of people in her party who they're nincompoops who support stupid stuff. So they've supported her in the past. But on this, they tend to skew towards this new younger generation of people coming in with with these crazy ideas, people that Nancy can't manage, which the reason she's Speaker of the House is because everybody thought if anybody can control this, this crazy bag of cats, it's Nancy will put her back in charge. But she doesn't seem to be able to handle it.
2: No, she doesn't. And and the reason we say it's good for, for and, and again, we say politically, it's never good. For somebody to be as extreme as, as Alana Moore has been, that's you know morally she shouldn't be saying this, but politically it's good for the opposition party, the, the GOP, because like I said, what's going to happen is you're going to you're going to split the Democrats. I mean, you, you think of think of Joe Manchin, for instance. Think of that type of Democrat, which is very rare. Those are becoming like Bigfoot. You know, you never see them, mm-hmm. and, and they're very rare. Think of those types of Democrats. He will not be the kind of guy to support the thinking of this you know, Green New Deal and Israel is the worst and, 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 and socialism and all the things that Democrats are espousing on the far left. These guys are going to be forced to make a decision, make a hard turn left or go independent or even in some cases maybe join the Republicans. Democrats will not survive this type of thinking. It's going to split the party.
5: Mm. So what does that look like? Because I mean, so part of me is like, yippee, you know, let's do some cartwheels and drink some extra, uh, you know, lattes with extra foam. Let's, let's, you know, let's celebrate. Let me even get some kettle corn, even though we're trying to go off the sugar. Let's do it. Um, That's, that's how I feel part of me, Steven. But the other part of me is like, wait, Um, so I read Tucker Carlson's book, Ship of Fools, and he makes the case for the two party system that you need, um, you know, Democrats who are a little more wary of the government, like they used to be, you know, they they didn't trust the government. They didn't, they, they wanted to protect the environment, not these current environmentalists, but the true environmentalists who actually ushered in the kind of, we have, we have, we're the best on the environment on the entire planet. And part of that is due to liberals who really cared about cleaning up streams and rivers and making sure sure that businesses didn't pollute. And so there's this, it's like watching the death of something that's a necessary evil. Conservatives yep. do need a foil to kind of rein us in from our kind of libertarianish, limited government, wild, open free market, you know, kind of ways. We do need that. Sure. We won't have that. We already don't have it. But I'm saying this will be the full extreme if the party fractures on the left and they become basically two groups. One is a group that really respects all Americans and then the larger group, which will be anti-Semitic. Um, anti-freedom. Right. And really, they're the true sexist and misogynist if you look at the way they treat women, oh. uh, you know, that, oh, yeah. that whole bit.
2: Well, you know, you, you hit the nail on the head there. And there, there's a quote from Adrian Rogers, you know, the old preacher. And he said, I'd rather be united by the truth than divided by a lie.
8: Mm.
2: And when you think about our culture and where America's going and what we're what we're doing, not only within the church, but within the culture at large, and you look at, at you know, the idea of let's, let's tear down lines, let's all just kind of be unified, and all be the same, and not have any doctrinal differences or political differences, we're all just kind of one. The truth of the matter is these differences are important. And, and if, you, if you believe in the Constitution, if you believe in limited government, if you're a believer and you believe in the Word of God, if you believe in any of these things, you need lines. You need people to say where they're at, what they believe. And so while it's not morally good to be anti-Semitic, while it's not great to say, "Hey, we want to we want a gigantic government to control everything," what it does do something, Stacey, is, is it reveals, and revealing is always good. And for that, we should say, "All right, let it happen."
5: Well, I love it when people announce like so. I've had uh, a lot of different uh, kind of argumentative discussions, and sometimes they've been very thoughtful and very substantial with people who are a part of the movement to kind of bring more diversity quote fingers into public education. And what they do is they they teach white teachers and white administrators that they can or they are inherently bad they 're descended from you know slave owners and even if they 're right. not, they have to carry this guilt around and There have been right. times where these people are crying and they're you know literally like experiencing all of this pain and hurt but they they don 't really they 're not responsible for that they weren 't the slave owners they some of them aren't even descended from slave owners and i i Stephen I really would say that some of what 's happened with um the diversity push is that it has taken people who would normally be openly racist. In other words, they would wear it on their sleeve, and you would know that you weren't safe with them. And yeah. they've pushed it below the surface, so the racism has not been eradicated, but the behavior papers over it, so it it manifests in much more insidious ways. I've I've always said I'd right. rather someone be openly racist towards me. So I know that person Amen. is someone that I can't trust and I can avoid. And I know yeah. I can't, they're not safe for my kids. They're not safe for me and my family. I would rather know that than have that person paper over it and hide it and, you know, do things under the table that I, it takes longer to realize and, and, and to remedy. Yeah. And this thing with the Democrats, I'm, I'm overjoyed actually. to see them sure. finally stop lying about abortion Stop lying sure. about infanticide. Stop lying about sure. anti-Semitism. I'm, I'm overjoyed by it, but it's also kind of frightening because you have to be pretty sure you're going to win to rip that kind of a mask off.
2: Well, and, and this is what this is what people on the right, this is what the, the Republicans, this is what conservatives, this is what Christians have been screaming for years. I mean, this is what we've been screaming for years, that, uh, you know, Democrats and, and those on the left will say, no, we don't want your guns. No, we don't want infanticide. No, we don't want euthanasia. No, we don't want socialism. We just want a little bit of this, and then fill in the blank with whatever issue it is. We just want a little bit of this. And so everyone on the right goes, no, 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 that's a slippery slope. They're not telling the whole truth. They're trying to get a foot in. What's the old phrase? You you give the devil an inch, he will take a mile, right? You, you crack the door open, he will kick it in. And, and mm-hmm. so people on the right are going, look, look, look. This is a trick. They want more. The good thing about 2019 is the masks are off. Now we don't have to question it. Now we don't have to... Now we don't have to push back and go, they're lying, they're lying, they're lying. Now we know. They're openly saying, give us socialism. They're openly saying, kill babies at, at delivery. They're openly saying, we want to completely transform the economy with the Green New Deal. They're openly saying, Jews are bad. And so this is, this is good for, for truth. And that's what it boils down to. We need truth in this culture. And again, if you have any sanity in the world, you're going inside with people who, who hold on to truth. Mm. And so that's why this is generally a good idea. But what's happening?
5: Fantastic, as always. Stephen Solomon, radio host and former military intelligence agent. Thank you for being on the show today. Talk to you again soon. All right. We'll be back with more right after this. Keep it here. What does it take to be a sports success and a team player? Here's Pro Football Hall of Fame coach Tony Dungy with today's Uncommon Moment.
2: Hall of Fame running back Steve Van Buren was constantly improving. Weighing just 125 pounds, he failed to make the high school football team as a freshman. But by the time he graduated, Van Buren was a standout player on the team and was offered a scholarship to LSU. After college, he was signed by the last place Philadelphia Eagles. His rookie year, they finished second. After two more years, they won their division and back-to-back championships. Galatians 6.9 says, At the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we don't give up. Steve Van Buren certainly never gave up. He had uncommon tenacity and became one of the best to ever play the game.
5: Tony Dungy, best-selling author of Quiet Strength and the Uncommon book series. Discover more at CoachDungy.com.
0: Bishop E.W. Jackson.
5: Every single one of us who's been
2: saved was once on the other side. You know, the Bible says, and such were some of you. Before I got saved, I knew things were wrong, but I figured as long as I didn't get caught, what difference did it make? But the thing is, he changes you down on the inside anyway so that you don't want to do
0: what's wrong. The Marriage, Family, and Life Conference is coming June 20th through 22nd. Learn more and register at urbanfamilytalk.com.
1: Want to go shopping later? Yeah, sure. Where do you want to go? Oh, we can go to JCPenney, Spelt, Target. Whoa, wait.
4: I was with you until you said Target. What's wrong with Target? What's wrong with Target? You mean besides the fact that they have an open-door policy that lets men into women's restrooms, that Target? Wait, what? Exactly. As a matter of fact, before we go, grab your laptop, go to AFA.net, and sign the pledge to boycott Target. Okay, I'm on it
0: with Fox News Director of Polling, Dana Blandon.
8: Lots of talk about socialism these days. The Green New Deal, Medicare for All. That's out of step with our latest Fox News poll. We asked voters if they could send one message to the government, what would it be? Only a third, 34%, would ask Uncle Sam to lend me a hand. That's down seven points since last year, and it's the lowest number wanting help since 2014. For a majority, their message to the federal government remains, leave me alone. Bottom line, the number of voters wanting help from the government is the lowest in years. Plus, capitalism is far more popular than socialism. More than twice as many voters have a positive view of capitalism, 57% versus 25% for socialism. However, that isn't the whole story. Many voters say capitalism in the U.S. doesn't give them a fair shot. 42% feel that way, and that suggests an opening for new policy ideas. I'm Dana Blanton, and that's your poll Polpourri.
0: You can watch a live stream of the show on Facebook or YouTube at Stacy on the Right. Now, back to the show on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk.
4: Each day, nearly 25% of my agents are diverted away from our border security mission to care for, transport, and process family members and unaccompanied children. As more migrants arrive with medical needs, agents are transporting and escorting an average of 55 people a day to medical facilities. We are committed to addressing this humanitarian need, but we know that when agents are occupied, narcotic smugglers, criminal aliens, gang members, and others use the opportunity to violate our borders and our laws. There is an ongoing debate about whether this constitutes a border security crisis or a humanitarian crisis. Let me be clear, it is both. I've been asked many times how the current situation can be a crisis compared to years when we surpassed one million apprehensions. To understand the numbers, you have to look at what is happening on the ground. In the 1990s, a time when Mexican nationals represented up to 90 percent of apprehensions, an agent might have apprehended and returned the same individual multiple times within one shift. Today, nearly 80 percent of those apprehended are from countries other than Mexico. The vast majority are Central American family units and unaccompanied children that require significant care in Border Patrol custody and then enter a backlogged immigration system. What the numbers don't show is how my men and women care for these vulnerable populations with the limited resources that they have. As I have said before, we do not leave our humanity behind when we report for duty.
5: Welcome back to the program. I hope if you're having trouble with the live stream, you're coming over and live streaming us at AFR.net um, or urbanfamilytalk.com are two uh, ways that you can listen on your phone, on your laptop, any any device whatsoever that you're using. When we have stream issues, you can go there and pick, pick the show up live. You can listen. Um, right now, I want to go to the phones. We have Jacob in Arkansas, minimum wage and union jobs. Hey, Jacob, thanks for calling the show.
3: Hey, Stacey. Uh, Hello. Thank you for your service as a veteran. I wanted to say that part first. Thank you. And uh, I just had a little quick comment. Uh, at the beginning of the show, you were talking about how the minimum wage, they are wanting to raise it and it'd be $15. And a lot of things that the Democrats do are really disingenuous, and I think this is one of those, too, because what they don't tell you is that union uh, job pay rates are based on the minimum wage as well. And so, like, the lowest-paid person at a union job gets X amount of dollars above whatever the minimum wage is. So whenever they say, you know, they're really caring about the person that's making minimum wage, a lot of that, too, they're looking for that union job and union dues and money to go back into the you know, Democrat coffers by making that raise again. And so that's a lot of times, you know, the stuff that they won't tell you, but that's kind of my take on any time they want to raise the minimum wage
5: you know jacob i I have actually mentioned this before. It's brilliant of you to bring it up now while we're having this conversation uh you when you say, and I, I want to give the call line again eight six six nine six three two zero three seven eight six six nine six three two zero three seven so Jacob, the point you're making is one that i I don't think it gets made often enough, and that's why it's so perfect that you're sharing it now what what you're saying is. Let's say there's a big, huge union that does, you know, these big, big contracts with commercial entities like hospitals, um, the government. If they put together a building and they do all of the contracting for it, they have a plumbing team, they have, you know, the, the the drywall teams, you name it. They have the the guys, the tilers, everything, and they're all union. And so what happens is the entry level dude on the job, he's getting paid above minimum wage. He doesn't make seven fifty an hour. He might make. $8.50 or $9 an hour to start off. Well, if the new minimum wage is $15, he immediately makes $18 because he's not going to make minimum wage. He can't make minimum wage. He can't make $15. He's got to make $18. So then if the guy that just came on the job site, he's a newbie and he's the apprentice, he's making now $18 an hour where he was making 9 that means everybody else has to be upped. If you were making $36 an hour because you'd been there for, you know, maybe five years or whatever, and now you've got to have your pay basically essentially doubled. You have to have your pay increased so that you're still above this kid who just entered in. So it's a really insidious way of eking a lot of money out of the economy, making things unaffordable, um, increasing costs, and really for nothing because nobody has done anything extra to earn extra money at this point. Fantastic point, Jacob. Thank you. Um, let's go to Gary in Oklahoma. Call lines are 866-963-2037. Hey, Gary, thanks for calling the show.
3: Hello, Stacy. How are you doing?
5: I'm pretty good.
3: Well, I just want to talk about border security. Seems like mm. more and more people are jumping on the bandwagon. But if people are so willing to, I guess, open the borders, why do they have doors on their houses? How are these people going <laughs> to...
8: You know, yeah, why don't, don't they just you,
5: let them yeah. come in? I'm with you. Why, If you are for open borders, why don't you just open your door up and let a bunch of illegal aliens go down to the border and pick some up and bring them straight back to your house? I ask that all the time. Nobody ever has a good answer.
3: They sure don't. Thank you for your show, Stacy.
5: Hey, thanks, Gary. Thanks for listening. Uh, he makes a good point. And, but, again, you're not going to find a whole lot of logic, Right Um, in the argument for open borders. It's not like you have a bunch of people sitting around with charts and graphs talking about how this is good for America. They're just saying, we have to do this. We want to do this. Um, We're going to do it, whether you like it or not. So the audio that you heard coming in was um, actually U.S. Border Patrol Chief Carla Provost. Yeah, you heard me right. The chief of the U.S. Border Patrol is a woman named Carla Provost, and she just tore it up. OK, here are some of the new Customs and Border Patrol numbers, because this is where the rubber meets the road. 268,000 apprehensions for fiscal year since October. That's a 97 percent increase from that time last year. 76,000 apprehensions and inadmissible arrivals, which is 31% increase over January and highest February in 12 years. Family units and unaccompanied children were 65% of the February apprehensions. So this is children coming over the border. Also, a 300% increase in family unit apprehensions compared to the same time last fiscal year. Also, Customs and Border Patrol issued 31,000 referrals for medical care in February compared to 12,000 in February of 2018. Also, there have been some 70 large groups of 100 or more individuals totaling 12,069 apprehensions so far in fiscal year 19. So these are those caravans. There were 13 groups like that in fiscal year 18 and 2 in fiscal year 17 so they found a way to travel here that's safe they get in these huge groups it means they're they they are not trafficked it means they're not raped it means there's no violence against the more you know the weaker members of the group it makes it possible for them to come here safely and and illegally come into the country it's really bad and and I know You know, there's, there's this desire to just say, just let them in. And if we're really going to be perfectly open and honest here, I have seen the numbers. Sometimes I've, I've listened to the story. Sometimes I'll read some of the, they're, they're the uh, human interest pieces that they write in major newspapers about illegal immigration and they put a human face on it and it just breaks your heart. And sometimes I think to myself, why can't we just do something for these people? Like why, and then I think about the number of them, and then the emotions, because that's where I'm dealing from when I feel like we have to do something for every person on the planet who, you know, has a, a situation worse than our own here in this country, and then the common sense creeps in and it says, "So time for you to sit down, emotions. We don't make decisions based on our emotions. We make decisions based on first of all, what is what does the law say, and second of all." We take care of home first. And so then then my heart starts really getting upset over how many veterans we have who are homeless and how many American children we have in foster care and how many people in this country are suffering degradation and just the most horrible things because of the influx of illegal immigration. So it, it's not about not having any emotions or any feelings about this. It's not about not having a heart for these people or wanting something good to happen or wanting to rescue or save anybody. It's about acknowledging that it's a dereliction of duty on my part as a mom to ever spend money on some other child when my child has a need. So it doesn't mean I can't be philanthropic. And I, I said need, so not wants, not new iPads, new earbuds, you know, headphones and and, and every other thing. I'm talking about a need. If my children were hungry, it would be a dereliction of duty for me to take money and pay for somebody else's kids to eat. No, I have to first make sure my family's taken care of and then I can go outside. And, and I know we're a prosperous nation. Seven plus million empty jobs that need to be filled. It sounds like we need more people here, doesn't it? But we have far more than seven million people who are homeless in this country. And we have an epidemic of suicides and opioid overdoses and things that we have to address as a nation. We'll never have zero of those numbers, but we certainly could be doing better than we are now. And we certainly could close our border up so we don't bring more drugs and more uh, gang violence into the country. We could lessen the number of people who are suffering, who are Americans, who've lost their children to these these gangs, MS-13, et cetera, et cetera. We could do all of that before we ever say we're going to help this country or that country. And I'm saying that with the full knowledge that we are constantly sending billions of dollars outside of this country to help others. So our, our need to be philanthropic is being met. It is something we do automatically. So we, do, we don't have to feel any guilt about it. So here's Kirsten Nielsen, Secretary of Homeland Security, talking about the 1 million illegal immigrants who are expected at the southern border this year. It's uh, number
1: two. Since last year, we have been seeing 50 to 60,000 migrants arrive at our southern border each month. But in February, we saw a 30% jump over the previous month with agents apprehending or encountering nearly 75,000 aliens. This is an 80% increase over the same time last year. And I re- report today that CBP is forecasting the problem will get even worse this spring as the weather warms up. The projections are dire, the agency is now on track to apprehend more migrants crossing illegally in the first six months of this fiscal year than the entirety of FY17. And at the current pace, we are on track to encounter close to one million illegal aliens at our southern border this year. Our capacity is already severely restrained, but these increases will overwhelm the system entirely. This is not a manufactured crisis. This is truly an emergency, and I can I
5: couldn't agree more. Um, and I, I just think it's ridiculous that she has to repeat these things. Let's, let's get away from repeating ourselves over and over again and get to solving the problem. Uh, let's go to Jacob in Alabama. Hey, Jacob, thanks for calling the show today.
3: How you doing, sister? Doing good. All right, that's good. Your voice out. It sounds really pepped up now. <laughs> 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 but i tell you, the main thing is we have to begin to mature as Christians and recognize who the devil is and the devil's tricks. It's going to be the same thing. You've got the Democratic Party just, um, being led by the devil, and they're liking it, and we got to be mature enough to realize, no, this is his campaign promise amongst other things, and we know what time it is. So, no, we're not we're not letting folks in because the only thing they want to do, they want to turn the United States into a third-world country, uh, socialistic, and, you know, it just that plays up, and that will never change, and they want to destroy President Trump and his family completely.
8: Mm.
5: Well, that's not working. I, I saw some uh, information this morning saying that polls show that The Democrats attacks on the Trump family members don't play well with with regular Americans like regular Americans see that and they don't. It's not like they're like, oh, good. Um, Most Americans see that and they're really disappointed by that. Um, We have time for just one more quick call. Reed in Texas. What's your comment?
3: Uh, You know, I agree with everything you say, Stacey. Um, But uh, you you have to take care of your own before you can take care of anybody else. Uh, That's Right. You know, and, and we're not taking care of our own yet. So we need to stop taking care of everybody else.
5: I agree. I, I mean, immediately. Like, I would just stop every bit of aid going to every single source until the, we get some, some parity on the southern border. I, I absolutely would do that. Um, I know the president has other ideas that he would implement like that. And it's just the intransigence of Congress and the system itself that is preventing him from doing what he wants to do. And so we just have to keep praying that he can find loopholes and ways within the system in which to operate. And we just have to keep praying for that. There's just the only thing we can do. And everything else will have to kind of come from that. All right. Thank you for being with us today. If you're leaving now, God bless from the heartland. And thanks for making your home at American Family Radio. And if you're sticking around, you have news and information from onenewsnow.com coming at you next.